The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Welcome everyone. Some of you know last week we started talking about Jack Kornfield's new book, The Wise Heart. You can get a copy if you'd like to read along. We'll probably I'll be working with it for about six months, I'm guessing. And the first chapter uh, is on the nobility of the heart. It's called the um, seeing the inner nobility and beauty of all human beings. Actually, this is the first principle. It's not the title of the chapter, but in each chapter, Jack is talking about some of the principles that we find in the Buddhist teachings, or what he calls Buddhist psychology. Seeing the inner nobility and beauty of all human beings. So it's a little bit of what we try to do in tonight's guided sit. I think it's important not to underestimate, it seems simple, but not to underestimate how powerful that wish is. It's not a small thing to recognize that we care about this life or that we wish that this heart be happy and at ease. And it's just interesting how the mind resists it. It's like the mind doesn't seem to have a problem being endlessly critical, but it it somehow seems silly or inappropriate to be loving in any kind of systematic way or to be reconnecting with an authentic wish. I mean, that's the idea with the practice, the formal practice, is we construct a technique like we use tonight that's basically knocking on the door. Is it possible to wish well? Is it possible to care? Because that loving or wishing well, it's already coming from a beautiful place. It's not like, oh, poor me, I want to be loving or I want to be happy or I want to be peaceful. But that wish itself is an expression of peace or happiness or love. That's why we do it. You know, it's interesting how we miss this point so much in our lives. The way to be free is not to think about being free, or the way to be happy is not to think about being happy. But it's not easy how to go directly to happiness. And one of the the basic principles of happiness is this outward flow of generosity, like wishing well for ourselves, is an expression of happiness and peace. Wanting to be happy is an expression of neurosis or fear or greed. And when we do a practice like this, when we're learning to recognize the simple goodness that is reflected in that wish. 
made his heart be peaceful and at ease or whatever, however you express it. When we just reflect in that way, we're in no way denying that the body's getting older or that there are injustices in the world, that I'm not sure if my job's going to stay or I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to, you know, hang in there with my partner or it's in no way saying the world isn't a confusing place, isn't a difficult place in, in ways. So in a way, these overlapping realities, they may look different, but they don't contradict each other. Like this wish for the heart to be happy, to be peaceful, to be loving and at ease, doesn't depend on the world being a different kind of place or this body being a different kind of body or the conditioned mind being a different kind of mind. Isn't that true that we can be loving, we can be peaceful, the heart can be happy and at ease right now. And certainly the world isn't perfect now, but yet that seems to be the case that there were many moments in this room in the last half an hour when you know, maybe one person one moment and another person another moment, but we bumped into these moments when the heart was content, when there was a simple beauty of ease or peace or stillness or love. And our life situation didn't change. Right? We're still a human being with a certain body, with a certain life situation. And in a way, as I mentioned last week, like it or not, this somehow negotiating, playing with this attitude or this way of understanding is our first step into a spiritual life. It has to begin, like our interest in something outside of the worldly conditions of wealth and health and relationships, something beyond uh, what comes and goes, is a recognition of something that's good and always available, something that's pure or beautiful or loving and always available. Uh, some of you know Rini Howard, who was our chair of Comagon's board of directors. She died about a year ago, last December, and a wonderful person, great leader in our community, and a writer as well, and she wrote a beautiful poem. This is from um, 2004, she wrote this poem, and it's called A Perfect Gift. Go naked before God. Stop looking in the mirror and messing with your hair. Don't worry what everyone else is wearing or whether you look fat. Go naked to the beloved in full daylight. Make a love offering of your entire roly-poly self. It's the only thing you have to give, so give it joyfully. Hold nothing back, 
place the whole absurd and precious package in the palm of the divine, where love will receive it with infinite tenderness and delight. Sweetheart, don't you know, you are the perfect gift. And I like this poem for a number of reasons. One, just because Rini wrote it. <laughs> but another is this invitation um, to have a different attitude about our life and the complications and the difficulties. And not to feel um, constrained or not to feel that our heart what is essential is limited by the conditions of our life, our particular life situation, particular health, or whatever, however we define our life. So I don't think Rini is suggesting that, you know, our body, our conditioned mind is in itself the perfect gift, but that it doesn't limit what's good, you know, the particular situation that we have. Suzuki Roshi, some of you know, wrote this wonderful book, Zen Mind, Beginner Spine. Many of us read it and were inspired. I remember reading it in the early 80s and Immediately, immediately decided to move out to San Francisco Bay to practice at the San Francisco Zen Center that Suzuki Roshi had started. It didn't work out there, but I was inspired to go there. But he has this wonderful line in that book. He says, you are perfect just as you are, and there's still room for improvement. So we didn't have as much time last week to talk about this, but I think you know this is something that we should always be doing in groups, groups of friends, you know, challenging the conventional wisdom that life is mean, life is hard, or the opposite, you know, that life is some superficial or sentimental notion of life, that it's a playground and. But something that that makes everything make sense. I mean, this is the thing about when we touch peace, when we touch a more universal kind of love. Maybe you felt a little bit in the sit tonight. A love that can go everywhere equally, isn't afraid. Like once we start to connect with our own feelings of care and tenderness for our own life, and then we open it up and we realize, that love doesn't really care who's included. That we can, we understand that I care, I wish for everyone to be happy and at ease. I mean, these are the kinds of conversations that we should be talking about, or having rather. This sharing with each other about um, uh, confidence that arises. It's like being able to see something that's good in our own heart and the confidence that comes from it. And then it begins, then we sort of begin to understand that this isn't something exclusive to me. There's something beautiful everywhere. 
and everybody. And this is, I think, what Jack Kornfeld's talking about in this chapter. Nobility and inherent goodness, I think, is the title of that chapter. And, you know, it's something we have to develop. Like, when we look at our friends, when we look at our kids, or our parents, or our sisters and brothers, and strangers on the street, it really depends the kind of attitude or eyes we're looking through. And we can practice when it feels safe. We can practice and see if it's possible to feel something good, to recognize something good in ourselves and in others. And mostly the practice is like not getting caught with the first thing we recognize when we look. Because mostly in life, if you're like me, you know, we lead with fear or we lead with greed or some kind of neediness. And so we have to, we don't want to be afraid of that, those conditioned ways of seeing, but we don't want to be stuck with it either. So let the fear come. Let the greed or neediness or loneliness come. But we just keep looking, not afraid of our conditioning, and not thinking that's all there is. You know, my loneliness or my neediness or my controlling tendencies, critical tendencies, they may be there, but is that all there is, you know, to see the world, to relate to the world in that way? We just keep looking, keep seeing, keep feeling and maybe something else will arise. It's like with the practice we did tonight. You know, we don't repeat the phrase, may this heart be peaceful and at ease one time. We just keep repeating it. Because on some level, we have confidence that it's not harmful. It's not stupid to be repeating this phrase. It isn't harming anybody. And in a way, we're just knocking on this door to see what's there. And it's like that wonderful line in Rumi, you know, knocking on the door, wanting to know answers, you know, and then realizing I've been knocking from the inside. And this is like a flip that happens, you know, here we are, may this heart be peaceful and at ease. May this heart be peaceful and at ease. May our hearts be peaceful and at ease. And in that repetition and in the sort of connecting with the meaning of the words, it's like the phrase and the meaning of the words of the phrase, it, uh, it vibrates in a certain way that reminds us of something that's always here. In a way, it brings something online, just the feeling of peace a feeling of wholeness. And it's like a re-education about what love is. You know, mostly we think of love in a self-centered way. I love you, as opposed to you. And that's not love, that's something else. You know, I'm familiar with you and I don't know who you are. I feel safe with you and I'm not sure I'm safe with you. But this feeling of love goes beyond conditions. It's not about conditions. 
And it's so, um, in a way, surprising, this wholeness, this peace, this love, this ease. Because it isn't about who I am or what I've done in my, my life. Last week we talked, for those who weren't here, we talked about chickadees at bird feeders, you know, and watching them and being delighted by watching the birds. And they seem so beautiful. You know how that is sometimes when you're watching creatures do their thing? They can seem so beautiful. And superficially, you might think, well, it's the creature that's really beautiful. But you know, chickadees are neither beautiful nor not beautiful. So what makes it so beautiful? It isn't the chickadee, it isn't the feathers, it isn't how it chews on the bird seed or whatever. None of that is actually, you know, there's nothing about that that's profoundly beautiful, transforming, or meaningful for human beings. What's meaningful is something, it's almost like we're using the chickadee and the scene of the chickadee to open to something else. That isn't, doesn't have anything to do with the chickadee or the person watching the chickadee, something that's timeless. You know, and we're, a lot of us, you know, depending on your friends, it's like we don't have permission to talk about this. So we start to ignore it. You know, I often say, somewhat, you know, kiddingly, but I think there's some truth to it, the religion most of us were raised in is scientism or materialism, you know. And so because we can't point to this or because we can't define it, and we can't define love or we can't define peace, we tend to say, well, it must not be true. And we begin to mistrust or end up having to rationalize these experiences where we feel love that isn't about anything, or we feel peace that's beyond the particular conditions of the moment, or a sense of wholeness. So I want to set aside some time to hear from people tonight. Of course, questions about the sit tonight would be appropriate, and questions about the talks tonight and last week. But also, maybe more importantly, just sharing your own experiences where you felt a wholeness or a peace or the quality of love or ease, even though, of course, that experience arose in a particular situation. You know, you were getting a nice hug or you're out in the woods or you're whatever. But sharing a little bit about how the experience itself seemed to be beyond the particulars of that situation. And then uh, maybe the effect of that experience, the confidence, the shift in your relationship to your life after that. One of the things that arises when we feel that, when we have a moment of love, of peace, of ease, in a way, it's so grounding that we're, we're less dependent, less, less hungry for particular experiences in the world because the experience of love or peace or ease is so 
existentially satisfying. And so then our relationship to the world changes. Now we're more free to play in the world because we're not so desperately hungry to get something from the world, from our relationships, from our experiences. We, we have a lighter relationship with the world. Well, that's healthy, right? Just like being really tied to things being a particular way is really unhealthy. So anyway, I'll open it up now. Feel free to speak up and please say your name if you decide to share. So what comes to mind? What would you like to share from your own experience or questions that you have? Seeing the beautiful. Yeah, Bob. Have you heard of the American country musician Randy Travis? The name's somewhat familiar. I just stumbled on this song of his called Look Heart, No Hands. And it's just a country song, you know, ostensibly his girlfriend or wife, but the whole song is just about like letting go and opening the heart. And it's just a really beautiful song. Which I thought it, it kind of just like spoke to me because it was coming from a non dharma yeah, source, yeah, you yeah. know. But I thought very much capturing that. Well, of course, the Buddha didn't teach Buddhism. He taught the way it is. <laughs> so, and country musicians stumble on the way it is. <laughs> you know, everybody does. I was just talking with Debbie, our uh, longtime bookkeeper and leader in the community, who just found out she has breast cancer just last week. And, and she had a talk with her brother. and. Uh, you know, the first thing he said, he, I guess he's just a real storyteller, and, and she says he's, uh, he's not, you know, doesn't do a lot of reading, and he's a truck driver, but he just has a lot of wisdom. So he told this story about meeting this other guy at some truck stop um, who had this kind of weird thing happen where he fell and broke his arm, and when they were fixing his arm, they found this cancer and treated it, and on and on. And he shared with uh, Debbie's brother, this guy, that they just happened to meet at a truck stop somewhere. Um, you know, this basic teaching that, you know, cancer comes and goes, the body comes and goes, but what really matters is the mind, like how the mind is relating. And it was just such a, the way he expressed it and just the organic nature of his insight and just how he came upon it. And that her brother, who heard this at some truck stop, had that story ready to share with Debbie in a way that was really not even so much that the information was useful, but it was the perfect container for love. Like sharing the story was a way of saying, I love you, I'm there. And so I think people are stumbling upon these. And our practice is to, in a way, make us more vulnerable to these insights. That's what the systematic practice is. It's increase the probability that we're going to bump in to the truth. That the truth that's beyond the conditions and the mind's fixation on the conditions of our life, which really limits us. So we're, as an ordinary human being, the Buddha would say, we're living a limited life. And it's limited because our mind is fixated on the conditions, on what we take this experience to be. But fortunately, people, including country western singers, you know, 
And sometimes it is in terms of falling in love. And that's the doorway. And it isn't about the person we fell in love with because it's an excuse to feel love. That's why people write so, you know, beautiful, some, some of them at least, but powerful love songs. It isn't about the person. I mean, the person is just the person. They poop. They go, they're sometimes sweet and they're sometimes nasty. I mean, they're just human beings like us. But what people feel, they feel the immensity of that unconditioned love at times with these people. And, but what happens if they, you know, we try to then lay it on that person, well, that could cause problems. But what if we can understand that what we're feeling is beyond me and you, then, then it can really be useful, I think. Yeah, thanks, Bob. Other thoughts? Yeah, Julian. You know, on that, in, in my conditioning, in the, in the West, we objectify love. I love this, I love this. Not just I love. On retreat or living in a monastery, it was fascinating because when I went through this, I still struggle with this. When people would meditate a lot there, they can feel love. Because you can feel this immense love. It would go to a person. Yeah. You know, it was too heavy. It would get a, it's just what you're saying, it would get objectified. And, you know, there's a lot of people sleeping around and things like that. And then it became a lot of difficulty. Maybe we just fought it just, just to love, just to be is, is enough. You know, I do think I'm certainly a culture, the Western culture, too. I love my iPod. I love this, but just can we love? Can there just be beauty that's not objectified? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, that's a good way to talk about it. You know, love without objectifying it. But what you said, Julian, reminds me of a funny story. Uh, having done some of the three-month retreats at IMS, so New England in the fall goes from September to December, and and there's no, there's not too many distractions for the retreatants, the yogis on retreat. Um, one of the few is to watch the sunsets. The IMS, the campus, sort of sits on the west side of a small mountain in the foothills of the Berkshires. So you get nice sunsets. And uh, the yogis, the practitioners, would often, you know, at the right time of day go and just sort of gaze at the sun going down. Because like Julian says, when the more people practice, sort of all of the, a lot of the rigidity in the mind begins to loosen up. And then the sort of deeper feelings of love and wholeness can flow a little bit more. But the tendency of the mind is to objectify it. Like, uh, there's got to be a reason I'm feeling this, sensing this wholeness, right? So you're looking for an excuse. or so the, And the teachers, I remember Carol Wilson especially, just like being so funny, making fun of people falling in love with the sunsets. You know, and making a big deal of it. And I've had some really powerful insights, like what, just observing that in the mind. Just as uh, Julian has said, where see my mind wanting to objectify, kind of make the beauty of the sunset uh, the cause for love. 
so that in a way it's an entrapment. It's like I feel the this immensity of love because this is so beautiful. Now then the love becomes dependent on the sunset. Oh, slow down. Don't go away so fast. Oh, I wonder if I can get out of here tomorrow. I hope it's not cloudy tomorrow. You know, or I gotta I gotta find a house that's on the west side of the hill so every night I can watch the sunset. Now what kind of career do I need to have so I could be home and I mean, really, you can go nuts. And so I would just watch that tendency of the mind, and then I would come back, you know, the mind would let go of the objectification of the of the love. I just feel like what is love? What is peace? Well, it's just that raw, bottomless movement of life. It's just the unformed. That's actually one of the words for nibbana, or the unconditioned, the unformed. So, but it's the the sort of immensity of it. It takes time. It like uh, insight to be able to let things move without the mind clinging or putting it on something, on a person, on a sunset, or on the teacher, or on the tradition. You know, we can fall in love with Buddhism. You can fall in love with the teacher. You can fall in love with the community. There's all kinds of ways to objectify the depth of your experience. But the practice is just to let it be what it is, not to feel the need to do anything with it. And that's and basically, like with uh, the love, the word that's often used is immeasurable or boundless. Not to bind love to one thing or another, but to let it be boundless. That it takes practice, as Julian suggests. Other thoughts from your life you'd like to share with the group? Yeah, Anya. Well, as far as objectifying goes, I have just found that when I get into that groove of just feeling really good about everything, I kind of, I feel like I love everything. And actually, speaking of iPods, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm normally pretty picky about what I want to listen to on my iPod, and I pick out very specifically, you know, an artist or an album that I feel like I'm in the mood to listen to. But when I'm in this kind of lighter mood where everything's just okay and everything feels good, then anything, I just put my iPod on shuffle all and everything just sounds good. And I'm just really happy with every song that comes on. That's, that's kind of the way that I experience this sort of um, love for everything, or just general love. Everything that kind of that comes into my experience just seems great. Yeah, I think that's a good barometer. I think we can all use that. And it, it fits with what I often talk about the difference between an inward gravitational pull and an outward. So in using Anya's example, when we're in that place of peace or love or, or somewhat awake to that place of peace, love, the unconditioned, then our relationship to the world of condition is very light. And everything makes sense. It's OK because I don't need it to be any particular way. So we can take delight in the way that our life is manifesting. But when we're not in that place, then we're a hungry animal. And then we very much need things to be the way we want them or expect them to be. 
and are frightened or upset if they're not that way. And I think you're right. That's a good barometer, like when we're really needy, you know, and when I'm real controlling and need things to be this way, then I'm not in that expansive, boundless, immeasurable place. That when I am in that boundless, immeasurable place, then it's okay. Messes are okay. Beauty is okay. Minnesota Decembers are okay. You know, mosquitoes are okay. It's like the mind, and it doesn't mean that I prefer mosquitoes to no mosquitoes, but but the happiness that we're resting in, we're grooving on, it isn't about whether there are mosquitoes or no mosquitoes, or whether this is my favorite song or another song. Because the happiness is about something that's timeless and not something that's conditioned. And this is something we have to wake up to. I'm not saying it doesn't happen to all of us. I think it actually does. But we have to see it. We have to be conscious of this happiness in order to trust it. Otherwise, we're going to continue to believe in a deluded way that happiness comes because of particular conditions. And then we get stuck. Yeah, thanks, Anya. That's great. Other thoughts that come to mind? Yeah, Judy. And it doesn't mean we don't oppose them in certain ways, but but we see something beautiful nonetheless, even though we disagree with them, even though we might, in a very strong way, try to stop them from doing what they want to do. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. And I think uh, we should take responsibility to live that way. So when we think about the so-called bad people, whether they're American politicians or Osama bin Laden or whomever you might consider a bad person. But basically to see this heart, may you be peaceful and at ease. Why not? Like, why wouldn't we wish that for everybody, you know? 
and uh, really challenge that notion. Like, the, and it doesn't keep us from being skillful in the world and and doing things that lead to better results for human beings and a better world. But we don't. Do we need to be involved in the world with hate, or can we do it coming out of love? And just to challenge ourselves, because so much of the time we rationalize or justify hatred and just various forms of hardness in the heart, closing down, shutting down, separating out. Yes, I don't know your name. Uh, my name is April, and um, I was at your workshop, Mark, on cultivating uh, wholesome relationships. And the piece at the end that's really struck with me, struck with me, was a piece about um, intimacy and kind of the three stages of ice, water, and vapor. And last um, Sunday, I had a unfortunate understanding and a text message conversation with a friend of mine um, who I dated at one time, so there were some complexities with the relationship, and we are friends now. And when I realized that he was upset, and there's a huge misunderstanding between us about stupid things that someone takes a different way because you don't have tone in text messages. <laughs> um, I, I, felt, I, I felt some anxiety and fear about this. And I, I came to meditation on Sunday night and my mind was distracted. It was distracted and thinking about it during the entire meditation. And kind of in, in that moment, in that meditation, I realized um, why that was the case. I'm like, you know, it's just a misunderstanding. It's not that big a deal. We're going to get this cleared up. And it came to me that it, the fact of the matter was is that I cared because I cared about my life and his life and our friendship and that there was love. I mean, I felt love for him. And it kind of confused Used romantic platonic way, but it didn't matter. It was still love. Mm-hmm. And so, right after meditation, I talked to my friend Laura here, and then I uh, called him, and it, there was that sense of confidence that I'm hearing of it didn't matter what the conditions were, there were no conditions. I just needed him to know that I was sorry for any pain that I caused him based on this understanding, but that I did love him and that nothing had changed based on that. And I felt I didn't get the same reaction in return, but it didn't matter. Like, for me, I felt the vapor. Um, And it it was actually a really beautiful moment and still in my mind. Yeah. But that may be the way, you know, don't, I, I think the conventional and the absolute, they have, that's okay. Like, um, 
sometimes when we say to somebody, I really love you, or even, you know, this is a great meal, I really love hamburgers or something like that, there can be something universal in that. It's just a question. It isn't what we say. It's, is the mind confused? So when we say, I love you, are we aware that that love is boundless? Or are we feeling completely dependent on the you? Like, this love depends on you. This feeling of wholeness or this feeling of peace or the beauty of this feeling of love is totally dependent on you loving me, you being nice to me. Because we're going to use this language. It's just how we talk, like it or not, you know. But I think the wisdom behind it is what's really important. And I liked what you said, April, too, about uh, some of you won't know this uh, image or this simile of uh, water, ice, water, vapor, as a way of, you know, how our mind is. Sometimes our mind is frozen tight. Sometimes it's liquid move, you know, there's some fluidity, and sometimes it's empty. And so when there's vapor, it's like the freedom of the vapor is its own reward. So like you suggested, you didn't need him to somehow magically respond in a similar way. That's his karma. That's his business, you know, whether how he responds to your call. But your call can be its own thing of beauty. And regardless of what happens in the world, not that we're, we don't care what happens, what the person's response or the world's response is, but the intention and the freedom of that can be a beautiful thing regardless of what comes next in terms of cause and effect. And that's, you know, like uh, we don't, we're, we're not in control of how things unfold. But we can practice relating in beautiful ways. So then our life is beautiful, even though the world may be falling apart, or a particular relationship may be falling apart. But there still can be a sense of confidence in the wholesomeness, or even the beauty of how we are in the relationship, how where we're coming from. As you know, your words, vapor that that freedom of the mind not fixed in fear or not fixed in greed. Thanks, April, for sharing that story. Did somebody else over here have a... Yeah. Sure. Maybe a little bit louder. Okay. I, I just want to piggyback on what April was saying, because I, and also my name is Rebecca. I'm going through a very similar situation. Um, the guy that I was dating, um, we're now on talking terms, and uh, um, obviously we're broken up, and um, today he sent me a Facebook message um, because he was upset that I didn't respond to a text, but it turns out that my, I just disabled texting completely from my phone because I don't like it, and so um, I ended up calling him, and like, it was a big step for me to do that, and um, and it was just a very brief conversation, but then afterwards, um, something about just like reaching out and taking a risk um, and, and being vulnerable um, really inspired me to, it actually inspired his Christmas present that I didn't even think I was going to give him one this year. Um, but um, I um, recall the conversation that we had um, last week. He, um, 
mention Ellis, who's actually a folk singer in Minneapolis, and she's like my favorite musician ever. And he mentioned that she was playing um, in the St. Paul soon. And um, after we had our phone conversation today, um, I suddenly remembered that I'm going to this concert, and, and I thought, well, why don't I buy a CD for him? And then um, it, was, it was because of what he brought up, like the conversation that he brought up that made me think of his presence. And then today I was at Common Grounds, or this place, and I saw that Elsa playing New Year's Eve here, and I'm just overjoyed, so I'm, I decided I'm going to do that for New Year's Eve. And um, I don't know, I just feel like, um, like the, the importance of, of the experience today was that um, taking the risk and speaking to him and all that, um, I feel really opened up sort of like this love that we're all talking about, this, this universal sort of love that's not objectified, but it's just all around us everywhere. And even though I, at the moment, I felt this incredible love for him, very, you know, directed towards him, afterwards, later in the day, I realized that it was just this, like, global feeling I had just for the love of humanity and for everyone I know and everyone in my life and how I just really wanted to share that. And he just happened to come along at the moment and email me or say the right thing, and it just kind of sparked this um, incredible feeling I had. And the funny thing about this whole thing is that yesterday and then three days previous, I just had like insane amounts of horrible things happen <laughs> in my life, and I was really tired and just asking for just one day of a good day, and like today I woke up and it was a good day, and it was just, uh, it's been quite a roller coaster, but um, it's been really nice, and, and the last person I expected to have my day be good was from my, my ex-boyfriend, and um, so I'm just, I guess all I had to really say was just, um, you know, it's, never know what's going to happen and, and who is going to ignite this love you have um, for others and also it, in your own life. And it was just a really powerful moment. Thank you, Rebecca. I think that's a really important point, too. And, and it's, you know, it's about letting go so that we don't define who we should love or how we should love or whether people deserve <laughs> our generosity or our love but it's like uh, it's a natural system like water flowing down the side of a hill it knows love knows what it's going to do and we can just sort of let it do that and again trusting the the goodness of it like we're not trying to manipulate someone I mean that's our that's our only job are there other forces at work in what we're calling the love you know, like a neediness or some kind of a manipulation. But when we see that the love is pure, we just let it move. You know, we just let it move into the world and feel the goodness of it, the freedom of it. It feels enlivening, doesn't it? Like you suggested so nicely. Mina, did you have a thought? Thank you. Um, so I just want to thank you for the evening. I kept feeling like you're talking directly to me. Um, I have a theme just about people that I've lost. I've had a lot of death, unfortunately, recently, and just that love is um, unbounded, unbounded, then goes beyond death. And so 
I've just been struggling with grief tonight, and it's like the emotional stuff that's just kind of pouring out of me during the meditation, but, which I didn't mean to do. <laughs> Couldn't help it. I was just so grateful that you kept talking about the, the nobility of the heart, and, and then you mentioned your friend Rini as well, and I don't even know her, but actually she came, she kind of floated through my meditation as well as someone that's been, that was committed to the community and gave so much and how your love goes on in other forms. So just kind of struggling with like, um, I, I'm, I'm thinking about the nobility of the heart and, and how to keep, Yeah, and we don't give each other a lot of permission for that, you know, we're kind of expected to be contained, you know, in terms of our social world. And uh, and, the, and the trouble is when, we, when we're cultivating a sense of presence and, and a respect for what's happening, what's moving, it can be messy, you know, in terms of the social expectations, it can be messy. So, I, I mean, one of the nice things about a spiritual community like Common Ground is, even if we don't say it out loud, uh, it's all okay. You know, if somebody is sobbing or somebody is really happy. And what we're trying to do for each other are really two things. One is to create a feeling of inclusivity, that it's okay. It's okay to be where you're at. It's okay to be feeling what you're feeling. And to, to um, model for each other a, a willingness to just let it be what it is. So it's not so that uh, we don't have to define it. You know, so when, like you mentioned grief, you know, grief just wants to move. So to give each other permission to let things move, however that might be. And not to like try to fix each other, you know, hey, you've got a lot moving, let me, this is what, you should be done with that by now, you know, or, you know, this is what, do this prayer, you know, and that will take care of that grief or, or something like that. Because it's when we let the conditions be what they are that we open to what's timeless, whatever it might be. It's the trusting the conditions, the letting them be. So when we're sitting, we're not controlling the conditions. You know, sometimes people think sitting meditation is a way to control, to kind of get on top of and, and really master the body and master the emotions. And, but actually, it's a way of becoming porous and completely undefended and letting everything move. So over time, maybe not initially, but over time, in sitting or walking meditation, the body becomes more and more relaxed, more and more free of defense, of callousness, of hardness. And everything is just allowed to move. We're not using mindfulness of the breath to control our experience. We're using mindfulness of breathing or whatever particular technique to move more and more into this unbounded, uncontrolled place. And Everybody who does the practice long enough is going to go through periods where 
a lot of powerful emotions come and go, whatever, however they may be for that person. The whole thing is uh, unwinding. You know, all that's been bound up, it's going to unwind. And uh, letting it unwind is what opens us to what's beyond the conditions, to this love or this peace or this release. So thanks, Mina, for sharing that. Yeah, and we'll end with you, Jamie. We just have a couple minutes left. Well, you know, sometimes because of habit, our willingness and our uh, capacity to be open to somebody, it's just easier. But we're not necessarily, it's not necessarily so easy for us to be open and sensitive to what we're feeling. So it's like we end up harming ourselves because we're conditioned to open to this other person. But what's really asking for attention is like our own pain, our own vulnerability. And if we open to that in the way that we want to open to this other person, we might retreat. You know, we might uh, naturally, nature might create some safety for itself. Do you know what I mean? So it may, it's not so much that opening to this other person is wrong, but maybe for whatever reason, because of habits, you're not able to notice or feel some kind of imbalance or some kind of vulnerability or pain, your own pain, and to really respect that. And like, if you really feel it, nature, the nature that you are, will take care of it. You know, it will respond. So the problem isn't you don't know how to take care of yourself, but you have to see, you have to see that pain or that wound or that vulnerability in order for the sort of grandmother in you to arise, pick you up, take care of you. So that may be more what, like how to work with it. Because you're right, it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't feel appropriate to close our heart to somebody we love, even though it may be like the relationship may need that distance for whatever reason. But to find a natural way to do it, we have to notice the part in our heart or mind that needs safety or needs space or needs whatever it needs. You know, we have to tune into that. And friends can sometimes see that better than us. Like they can reflect that back for us. Honey, I think you need to do this. And then you try it and then it feels good. And then that can help illuminate, oh, this is what I wasn't feeling. This is what I wasn't seeing. And it doesn't mean that person's bad. It just means this is what really needs help right now. This is what needs care right now. And this is the thing about love. Love can get out of balance, not because love is bad, but because we have tendency to let love flow just in one direction or one way. But if it's really universal, then it will go where it's meant to go most. You know, however it's meant to go, like you mentioned, you know, how you were able to do it with your ex. 
boyfriend. And maybe that was appropriate. Maybe there was enough freedom there that he was the appropriate recipient of your unconditional kind regard in that in those moments. We have to let it go here. So let's just take a few seconds, let go of the words. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.